This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. Well, I want to talk about possessing our land. And today, specifically, I want to talk about facing our fears. Facing our fears. You know, Franklin Roosevelt was president during one of the darkest and one of the most challenging periods of American history during World War II. You know, as Nazism grew and its threat spread throughout Europe, also the fears in Europe and here in America begin to grow day by day. And, you know, one of the great leadership qualities that FDR was known for was his ability to communicate courage and strength to the American people. You know, he used to have what he called in those days his fireside chats. This was before the day of television, so it was the radio, and he had the fireside chats, and he would come on, and he would share uh, with all the Americans, you know, where we were and where we were going, and that we, we, were, we were, right was on our side, and we were going to have the victory. And, you know, one of the great phrases he used that, uh, really has encouraged me is he said this he said we have nothing to fear you you, are, you know it too but fear itself isn't that a great that's a great truth isn't it and you know what it is the truth we have nothing to fear but fear itself you know even the great apostle Paul was not immune to the attacks of fear upon his humanity he was a human like us listen to him when he said this he said this we suffered in a number of ways Outwardly, there were conflicts. Inwardly, there were fears. Not you, Paul. I know the great apostle Paul. I mean, he was caught up into heaven. He he had visions of Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Surely Paul was immune to fear. Not. (laughs) You know why? Because he was a man just like us. He was a, a human being just like us. And so here's the thing, church. It's not that we don't have fears. It's not that you're going to ever have a fear, but it's how we face the fear that matters. Isn't that true? Listen to this. Fear always acts as a barrier to God's will, to God's promises, and to our achieving our full potential in Him. Fear is a barrier. You know, I think about the word barrier, you know, there was a man, Chuck Yates, he was, a, he was a, a pilot, a test pilot, way back in the 50s. And you know, in those days, they weren't really sure if, if the sound barrier could be broken. And if the sound barrier was broken, what effect would that have on the person flying that plane that broke that barrier? Would he be able to make it? And, you know, they they tried and they tried and they tried to break that barrier. But Chuck Yates was the first one. And, you know, when he said that first time when he began to approach the speed of sound, the plane began to shake and he began to shake. And, you know, and he was like, is it going to hold together? Is the plane going to hold together? And he said it went like that. And then he said then all of a sudden when he broke through that barrier, it was just complete silence. Just a perfect peace and silence. He said, like nothing he'd ever experienced, he broke through that barrier. And the same way 
As we face our fears, you know what we do? We break through the barriers that fear has set up that says, you can't, you won't, you shouldn't. No one's ever done this before. Nobody's ever gone there before. Wait a minute. You've never, you've never gone past the speed of sound before. <laughs> Whatever it may be. See, fear always acts as a barrier. If you think about it, fear was the barrier that kept Israel from her promised land for 40 years. It was nothing but fear. It wasn't the giants. It wasn't the walled cities. You know what it was? Fear. Fear kept them out. It was a barrier. And every time they thought, hey, let's go do it. Every time Moses or Joshua or Caleb got up and said, hey, we can do this. Fear would raise its head. And they would say, but, 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 but. And just like Paul, we've got to learn to face our fears in God and vanquish them for us to move forward and possess the land for our families, for our church, for the kingdom of God, for our city. You know, people are counting on us. Now, they don't know that they're counting on us. They don't know that. You know, as... As this nation, as the days where this nation was divided, coming uh, toward what became the Civil War, the country was wrapped in division and fear, and they didn't know it, but they were waiting for a, a man called Abraham Lincoln to rise up. Now, they didn't know it. They just knew there's fear, there's division, things are not right, where, where are we going? But you know what? They were waiting for someone. And you know what? The world, the Bible says, lies in darkness. And it is waiting for someone, some people, the people of God, to rise up and press in beyond our fears and say, you know what? We're well able to possess the land. Isn't that true? Now, we want to explore some ways we can possess the land there were, there were three things that Israel had to overcome, the fears they had to overcome to possess their land. If you would, turn to Joshua chapter 1. We'll start and we'll read a few scriptures there. But it was fear of opposition, of conflict, fear of obstacles, and the fear of the unknown. Those were the three main fears that kept Israel from her, possessing her land. You know what? They can also keep us from possessing our land. In Joshua 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River. Now, how would you like to be in Joshua's place right then? I mean, how would you like to follow Moses in the ministry? <laughs> I know I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't have liked that. Could you imagine trying to live up to, to, to what everybody thought about Moses? I mean, here was a man spoke face to face with God. He came down on the mountain. He had to cover his face because it was lit up like a sun from being in the presence of God. He, he lifted his hands. The, the Red Sea split. He brought water out of the rock. He, he spoke a word. The earth split open and rebellious people fell straight down to hell. 
Boy, that'd be a hard ministry to follow. <laughs> but here he is. He's saying to Joshua, okay, Joshua, get ready. Here we go. And here's the real kicker about following Moses. Not only all those things, but if all those things that Moses did, all the miracles, all the things that everybody saw and knew he did, yet Moses was not able to bring them into the promised land. Now God said, hey, Joshua, you're going to take them in. I, I, I mean, if I'd have been Joshua, I'd have been like, you talking to me? <laughs> so I want you to, you know, so I want you to understand what Joshua, I mean, you know, we read this and we just say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he was a person just like us. He said, I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where your foot, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. And he goes on, talks about the territory. And then he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now notice verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous. I can understand why he said that. <laughs> be strong and courageous. Now God just said, said, be that. He didn't give any instructions on how to do it. He just said, be that. You ever, you ever been there? I don't know. Maybe I'm different from you. I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe I am. But God says, just be something. I'm like, Lord, how do I be it? <laughs> That's not good English, but you know what I mean. How do I be that? He just said, be strong and courageous, didn't he? Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers. Then in verse 7, what does he say? Be strong and very courageous. Oh, man. That doesn't sound like they're going on a picnic, does it? That doesn't sound like they're going, you know, to a holy land a, a visit down in Orlando. <laughs> he said, "Be first." He said, "Be strong, and courageous." Now he's saying, "Be very courageous." Wow. <clears throat> he said, uh, "For you will lead these people as I swore uh, to the people. Be careful to obey the law my servant gave you." He goes on and talks about it again, and then. Down in verse 9, how I many you know when God says something once, it's important? If he says it three times. Mm. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God is telling them, hey, Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. He said, because you got a job to do. And he's called us, Passion Church, to move forward in his plan and purpose for this church in this ministry. And not only that, but God's got a plan and a purpose for your life and your family. And there's land for you. This is why I said, I entitled it, Possessing Our Land. It's not my land. It's not just God's land. It's our land. God has spoken things to you about for your family, for your life, and he wants you to possess that. And you know what? We're going to have to be strong and very courageous. Mm. The first thing that we have to in facing our fears is, is the fear of conflict, of opposition, of opposition. Listen, opposition always accompanies opportunity. Boy, that's pretty good. Opposition 
always accompanies opportunity. Now, I wish with all the opportunities God gives us, I wish you could just, I mean, you know, I'm just talking about from a human point of view. Wouldn't it be great we just la-di-da in and we sit down and, you know, and angels come and serve us and it's just, you know, but with every opportunity, there's always opposition. You know why? We live in a fallen world, don't we? The devil's going to fight every inch of ground that you want to take, especially when you're following God and God's plan for your life. Look in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Even the apostle Paul dealt with this. He said, he said, a great door for effective work has been opened for me. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't you excited? An effectual door, a great opportunity. It's right here before us. It's an open door. Can't beat that. But, uh uh-oh, there are many who oppose me. There's going to be conflict. You know, I wish I could tell you in following the will of God that it was just going to be smooth sailing. You know? I wish, I wish I could tell you that, but it, you know, I could tell you that, but it wouldn't be true. <laughs> it's not smooth sailing all the time. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be conflict because with every opportunity, there's opposition. You know, there's opposition from people. Paul, if you read the, the book of Acts, wherever Paul went, the devil stirred people up. Right. There's always going to be people. There's going to be what I call external opposition and internal opposition. The external opposition are people who, number one, they just don't like the fact that you're, you're talking about Jesus. You're, you're preaching Jesus and the gospel and you're talking about people getting saved and set free and Jesus is the only way. There's people in the world. They don't like that. Right. Amen. I want there to be many ways, especially my way. But there's one way, the Bible says there's only one name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. One name, one way. Isn't that right? Some people don't like that, so they'll oppose you. I call them the naysayers. But even within the body of Christ sometimes, there will be negative people who fear has a grip on them, and they will begin to speak out of that fear. We know that's what happened with Israel. It was the naysayers who were allowing fear to control their minds and ultimately their hearts and their words that kept Israel out for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can't do that. Oh, we shouldn't do that. You know what we need to do? Let's go back to the way it was in Egypt. I have found this out. You can't go back. You can't go back. You know, I grew up in a a really small little southern town. I mean, it's small now, but, you know, 50 years ago, it was. Oh. You know, way out in the country. I mean, you know, you've heard me tell about it. We didn't have have a bath. We had a path. I mean, it was rural. <laughs> Is that what we say when we're trying to be nice? But, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, uh, I, went, I went back. I, had to, I, was, I was in town there. Uh, my, 
my uh, brother-in-law, his mom, which, of course, we all grew up in a small town. We'd known her. She just passed away. She was in her 90s, and I'd gone there to be with the funeral. So I stopped by, and I visited my aunt. She's going to be 93 this year. And she's still living in the, her home place. And I went in that place, and, and I, I couldn't help but think, you know, all the memories come back. You know, but, but at the same time, I thought, this is, this it, it's totally different. It feels different. It looks different. I mean, you know, I look, same pictures that was on the wall 50 years ago, still there. I mean, they're still there. I mean, everything, I mean, it's like just, you know, you went into a time warp, you know, you're back in the early 60s. Cynic was there with me. You know what I'm talking about. But you know, here's the thing, church, you know, you know, I look back and, you know, and I have a lot of fond memories and all, but you know, when I, when I, when I go back physically to that place and I stepped in that house, my memories didn't match up with my present experience. It looked different. It was different. You know, that, and I say that because what, we can't go back. You know, sometimes we have memories and we have wonderful memories of maybe about our childhood, you know, whatever, or memories about, you know, what God did in this place and in this building, and they're all wonderful and everything. But you know what? You can't live there in the past. We have to move forward, don't we? So sometimes there's naysayers. They let fear begin to control their minds and their words and their thoughts, and they begin to speak out to us. But then there are also internal fears, insecurities that want to rise up in us, uncertainties about the future that want to rise up in us. And 2 Corinthians, listen to this. Paul is speaking, 2 Corinthians 5. He said, For when we came to Macedonia... This body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Paul was noted for going and pioneering. He went to new places. He was the first to arrive. He went there. Nobody else had been there with the gospel. And when he went, he said two things always he had to deal with. Conflicts and fears. Conflicts, external things that wanted to hamper him and wanted to intimidate him. And also internal things, which were fears. See, sometimes we think as people of faith, oh, if we just get our faith strong enough, we'll never have to deal with another fear. Well, I guess poor old Paul, bless his heart, he was struggling to be a man of faith. (laughs) I don't think so. See, what is courage anyway? Courage is not the absence of fear, but it is something that enables us to act against our fears. You know, Cindy and I, we've, I, I was talking to my cousins the other day. He's, he's been in the same house for uh, 25 years. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> You know, he's been planted and I've been like a rolling stone, you know. But one thing Cindy and I found about when we, we go to a new place where, wherever God directs us, when we, we've started in new places, at, you know, in Bolivia and Argentina and Orlando and West Palm Beach and different places where God said, go. And we just, we just packed up the kids and everything and we went. We just didn't have any better sense or I don't know, whatever, but we did. 
But that was one thing we understood that, that there was going to be obstacles, conflicts, and there was going to be fears. But we found out this. If we would act in courage and in faith against those fears, most of them never came to fruition anyway. It was just that barrier. This is, hey, you better not try to press in past this. You better not try to go. You better look out. Remember when grandma tried it? Isn't that true? But you know, we've been given something to fight the external and the internal opposition. We We are really, if you only knew it, you are a weaponized warrior. Amen. I like the way that sounds. A weaponized warrior. Second Corinthians 10, listen to this. <clears throat> We're going to jump down to about, oh, we'll pick it up in about verse uh, 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Woo! Weaponized warriors. And listen, we're not talking about gasoline power. We're not talking even about atomic power. We're talking about divine power. That's God power. We we could put a a bumper sticker on on us and say, powered by God. Woo! Powered by God. He said, They have divine power. And what is that power to do? To demolish strongholds. Where are the strongholds? Right up here between these two ears. Isn't that where fear tries to attack you? Right up here. He said, what God's given us, the divine power to demolish strongholds. Notice he said, we demolish arguments. Did you know fear has an argument? Oh, yeah, it tries to present its case, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Absolutely. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge. Where do we get the knowledge of God? When fear speaks, you know what you need? You need to examine it in the high court of God's Word. Amen. Amen. You know, in our court system, we've got the lower courts, we've got appellate courts, but we got one called the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, when the Supreme Court rules, it's a done deal, isn't it? In our, in our nation, that's it. Supreme Court ruled, that's it. Well, this is the Supreme Court. When it comes to fear, when it comes to those things that come against you, take it to the Supreme Court. So fear of opposition. Listen, opposition will come anytime you try to take new ground. You try to move forward in God. Fear is going to come. And it's going to come in the form of opposition. Remember that. Opposition always accompanies opportunity. So don't let it throw you. Don't let it, oh, hey, wait a minute. I thought we were in the will of God. I tell people all the time, you know, there's two times when, you know, when trials will come against you. When you're in the will of God and when you're out of the will of God. The rest of the time, you're okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's, I found this out. 
It's much far greater, better, more wonderful to face the test or the trial in the will of God than it does out of the will of God. I'd rather Jesus be in my boat in the storm than me in the boat by myself in the storm. You know what I mean? So fear of conflict, of opposition. The second one is fear of obstacles or contradictory circumstances. Now, here's what I say about circumstances. They are the things fear seizes upon to make its case in the courtroom of the mind. Circumstances are the evidence, you could put it that way, that fear tries to use in the courtroom of my mind. It looks at this. It looks at that. And you know, to my mind, it all looks very logical. Boy, that's right. Boy, if that happens, he's right. If this doesn't happen, that's right. But you'll notice a lot of times fear uses a lot of supposition. If. If. What happens if God doesn't come through? What happens if you don't do this? What happens if you don't have the reason? What happens? It's always the if. But with God, thank God, we don't have to deal with the ifs. We deal with the reality that God said it. It is so, and that settles it. Isn't that right? That's right. We deal with faith, not with ifs, not with theories, not with supposition. We deal with the facts, the facts of God's Word. If God said it, it's so, isn't it? And you can rely upon it. The circumstances that try to come against us. Now, also, you know, behind these circumstances, who's behind these circumstances? 1 Thessalonians, turn over there. We know the devil is behind these. You know, I found this out. Now, we know, of course, that that God is sovereign. And if he wants to just do something, uh, he doesn't have to ask me or anybody else, does he? He just go do it. You say, God, wait, man, wait. We haven't done it this way before. But God's sovereign. If he wants to just do something, he can do it. But I found that for the most part in my life, in my experience, now yours may be different, but mine is, is that God usually uses a person or a people, doesn't he? When, when God got ready to call the nation out of Egypt, he raised up a person. When God got ready to take them in, he raised up a person. When God got ready to drive out the armies that would come into the promised land, he raised up a person, didn't he? So we could say that the norm is that God works through people, doesn't he? Whether one or a group of people, he works through people. Well, how many of you know the devil does the same way? Can the devil just do something out here? Sure he can. Sure, he can do stuff. We saw them, you know, they saw the magicians in Egypt. That, that He did things up to a point to where he duplicated, you know, certain miracles and certain things. You know, Moses with his rod and turned to a serpent and all that. So he can do some things. But, you know, I found out the same thing's true about the devil. Most of the time, he's going to work through somebody. Right. <laughs> Isn't that right? Right. And, you know, it's not always somebody, you know, that's, you know, that we get this caricature of the evil person. A lot of times people are being used by the, the, the enemy and they don't even know it. Yes. I'm not talking about them being possessed or the devil in them, but just influencing them. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to sow seeds of discord and doubt among the brethren. 
Well, that ain't God. Because Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself will. So if God's encouraging doubt and faith, according to Jesus, his own kingdom's going to fall. So that can't be right, can it? So we see, we want to make sure that we don't allow fear. And we know this fear is of the enemy. It's not of God. We remember what Paul told Timothy, don't we? God did not, and he was writing to Timothy because Timothy was dealing with fears. He was having troubles, some struggles with fears. And he said, Paul, he, Paul wrote, and he said, Timothy, I want to remind you, God didn't give you that spirit of fear. And you know what? Anything you have that God didn't give you, you don't have to keep. Now, you can, but you don't have to. You're not obligated to. And so you don't have to keep fear. Fear, you don't have to keep fear. You don't have to keep sickness. You don't have to keep doubt. Are you listening? You don't have to keep that stuff because it's not from God. So you're not obligated to keep it. Get rid of it. <laughs> In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, look at this. Paul said, for I wanted to come to you, <clears throat> pardon me, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. Uh-oh. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> Satan, do you know Satan's in the hindering business? Yes. You say, how did, how did Satan stop the Apostle Paul? Well, one time he was in prison. That'll kind of stop you. I mean, he preached to the guards, you know. Uh, church history says that they ever so often they had to change out all the personal guards that were guarding Paul because they all kept getting saved. <laughs> they had to keep changing them out. <laughs> but the enemy, he, in Paul's life, he used people, didn't he? He used people. Paul talked about it. He said how many times he was stoned and beaten with rods and all, put in prison and all that stuff. Well, who was behind that? Oh, that was God trying to help. No, I'll tell you what, what it was the devil. And he was trying to hinder Paul. But thank God Paul learned a secret about how to overcome it. You know, sometimes when God calls us, I, I say sometimes, most of the times, if not all the time, when God calls us to do something, somewhere in that process, we're going to feel inadequate. Some of us more than you. <laughs> Because you've got it all together. Some of us are still working on it. I'm still working on it. But there's a lack. Sometimes we feel a lack of strength or ability. We feel inadequate sometimes. But Paul learned an amazing and amazing truth. And uh, look in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 there. Just turn back a minute or two. I know I got you turning all over the place this morning. But you know, it's good for us to look at it. I could just refer to it, but... You might not have time to go read it. Right now you got time. You can look at it. 2 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was in one of these, or he was recounting to the Corinthian church in his letter about these times when he, he was facing circumstances. He was facing obstacles. He was facing the work of the enemy and feeling that in himself he did not have the strength or the ability or the adequacy to do it. And he learned a great truth and he learned it from God directly, but he passed it on to you and I so that you, you and I could also uh, uh, learn this truth and live in it. <clears throat> in uh, 2 Corinthians, in chapter, 
excuse me, I said 10, chapter 12, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. I said, wow. My power. God says, it's amazing grace is what we need as we move forward. Because he says, my grace is sufficient. My power is sufficient for you. He said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Wow. What Paul is saying here, he said, I have learned when I'm facing the obstacles, when I'm facing the circumstances, when I'm facing the things that are greater and bigger in me and fear is trying to come and my insecurities are rising up and I'm feeling uh, like I don't measure up for what God's called me to do. He said, that's when I remember that in my weakness, I can draw upon the grace of God and his grace and his power will come upon me and enable me to overcome all my obstacles. That's right. Amazing grace. It's not only good for salvation, it's good for whatever you need. I almost said whatever ails you, but that's <laughs> amazing grace. Thirdly, the fear of the unknown. Fear of conflict, fear of obstacles, and then fear of the unknown. You know, one of the big things when, that was one of, one of the things that fear played on is when, you remember originally Moses sent in the spies, remember that? You know, and, and, and Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report, but the other spies, they came back and, and you know what they started talking about? <clears throat> the giants. Giants, giants, giants. Yeah, everything they, the, everything Joshua and Caleb said is true, but let me tell you something they didn't tell you about. There's giants in the land. Facing giants, whenever you move forward to possess your land, the will of God, what God called you to do, whether it's you in your family, whether it's us as a, a church body, a family of God, they're going to be giants. And by that, I mean anything that's bigger than you. Right now. Facing giants. Giants were the unknown challenge that intimidated the people of God in that day. And you know, here's the thing. God calls us to do things, and many times it's something we've never done before. It's something we've never done before. How many times did Joshua led people, you know, how many times did Joshua led, uh, you know, two and a half, three million people into the promised land? <laughs> how many times had he ever seen the walls of Jericho pushed down flat? <laughs> how many times have you ever seen the sun stand still? <laughs> first, the first, the first, the first. But you know, the first, there's always the unknown with the first. You know, we're talking about breaking barriers. 
There, there used to be a barrier called the four-minute barrier for the four-minute mile. And there was a man back in the 50s, Roger Bannister, he's an Englishman. He was the first one to break that barrier. And I mean, that barrier had lasted for, for you know, uh, hundreds of years. I mean, nobody, they, they just thought, you can't do it, you can't do it, it can't be done, it can't be done, it can't be done. He did it, and within weeks, people were doing it everywhere. So what was a part of that barrier? It wasn't just the human endurance, the human ability of the body, was it? It must have been more to that barrier than just that. But all of a sudden, what happens? When someone goes through a barrier and does something new and something different, something that was thought to be impossible, it was an unknown challenge, it was an impossible challenge. As soon as one person does it, it's amazing. It sparks something. It sparks faith in people's lives. And all of a sudden, this one's doing it, that one's doing it, this one's doing it, that one's doing it. Isn't that right? You remember the woman with the issue of blood? Nobody had ever just said, hey, if I can touch the hem of his garment. I mean, they said if I can get to Jesus and he can anoint me with oil or if he can lay hands on me or if he can pray for me or if he can come, you know. Nobody had ever done that before. She touched the hem of his garment. You read on later on, he went into towns and villages and they just said they just laid people out so that when Jesus come by, people started touching his. See, nobody knew you could do that until somebody did it. Think about the centurion. He said, my servant lies at home sick, Jesus. Jesus said, I'll come and, I'll come and, you know, lay my hands on the hill. No, you don't have to, Lord. Just say the word. I mean, even Jesus was like impressed. Wow. It was the first time. A barrier. The unknown challenge. And you know, you're facing, maybe you're facing circumstances in your life and some challenges this year. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, an illness or a sickness. Maybe it's, it's financially. Maybe it's in the area of your family or with relationships, whatever it is. I want to tell you something. You know what? You can break through. You can be a pioneer in your family. You can be a pioneer in your circumstance. And you know what? It'll, it'll embolden and encourage other people. And all of a sudden, all kinds of people will be doing stuff. There'll be all kinds of people be doing faith stuff. <laughs> They'll be doing all kinds of courageous stuff. They'll be putting the enemy to flight in their homes and off their kids. We'll begin to take new ground in the city. All of a sudden, creative ideas and, and innovative ways of doing things. We hadn't thought of before. God, you know, when you begin to step out in faith, it's amazing. The flow of the Spirit of God in your life. God gives you ideas for what you couldn't see before. Gives you insight where you didn't have it before. But I want to tell you what, as long as you stay in the Barker Lounger. You know, I'm talking about the spiritual Barker Lounger. That's not going to happen. Because you know what? When you begin to move out and obey God, you're bigger than you think. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from, from God and have overcome them. Who's the them? The opposition, the obstacles, the circumstances, and the fear and the unknown and the giants. You've overcome them because the one who is in you. I said the one who is in you. 
is greater than the one who's in the world. You're bigger than you think. You know why? Because the greater one's in you. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, He's in you. He's in you. As the Bible says, I'll live in them. I'll dwell in them. Glory to God. The great apostle of faith of the 20th century, Smith Wigglesworth, used to say this. He said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Wow. You're bigger than you think, church. You're bigger than you think. Maybe you are facing some obstacles. Maybe, I'm sure you are facing some circumstances. Maybe you've got a bad report somewhere. You're facing some giants. You're facing the unknown in the future. But I got news for you. You're bigger than you think. No wonder God says, be strong and very courageous. You're weaponized warriors. You're called by His name. The greater one is living in you. And if God be for us, who can stand against us? Isn't that right? You know, you may look like little old David running out with just a little old slingshot. <laughs> and this big giant experienced in war with all the armor on, this big old sword and everything. But I'm telling you what, you're running toward him knowing, man, I'm telling you, I'm a thousand times bigger than this giant. And you know what? You use your spiritual slingshot. That is the word of God coming out of your mouth. Wow. Knock him out. That's right. Let me give you some action points here. We got to close. The first one, very simple. But let's do what he said to Joshua and them. Begin facing your fears today. And how do you do that? Be strong and very courageous. Oh, yeah, but I... Uh, you just don't know how I feel. How you know? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Be strong and very courageous. The greater ones in you. Be strong. That's how you face your fears. I'm going to be strong and very courageous. Here I go, God. If I don't make it, it's all on you. <coughs> Isn't that right? Remember what I said? Failure is not terminal. I'm living proof of that. <laughs> What is the biggest obstacle you're facing in your life right now? What is the biggest obstacle? Name it. Don't let it be some... Un you know, sometimes fear is just kind of just kind of lurking, you know, kind of on the edges, in the back of your mind, you know. Just, mm, you know, like the, like the sword of Damocles. Remember that, you know, that story from Greek mythology, you know, that sword was hanging by... Just a hair right there, you know. He was sitting in opulence. He was enjoying all the best of things, but he never knew when the sword might fall. That's the way sometimes fear is. You know, it helps if we name it. Give it a name. What is it? Is it sickness? Is it lack? Is it fear of the future? Is it, in, is it an insecure? Name it. Name it. What is it? You can't face it if you don't know what it is. Remember this. God has given you a name that is above every name. So no matter what the name, even no matter whether it's cancer, whether it's lack, whether it's you're facing foreclosure, whatever it is, there's a name that's bigger than that, that's over that name. That's the name of Jesus. Isn't that right? By faith, draw upon the strength and power of God's grace. 
Say, here we go, God. You said be strong and very courageous. I'm feeling weak, but you said in my weakness, your strength would be perfected. Here I go. Then I would say this. Be proactive against your fears. Act against them. Act against them. When, when the devil says, don't do that, fear says, don't do that, bless God, here we go. You act against your fears. You know, whenever we move out in the will of God, God's plan for our life as a person, a family, or as a church, there are always going to be some unknowns. You know, God shows you enough to get moving. You do, do all that you know to do. You try to you, you think through. You try to look through things. You try to, you know, anticipate things. And all that's good. That, that's good. Planning is good. But, you know, there's always going to be some things that you face that you didn't know was coming, that you didn't know were there. You know, but that's when we face them. We say, you know what? This is what God called me to do. This is what God's called our family to do. This is what God's called our church to do. And we are going forward and possess our land don't let fear put a barrier that holds you prisoner you'll be amazed you start just acting against it and all of a sudden all that barrier it wasn't even real it was just a camouflage the devil put out there You're bigger than you think. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.